So some uh, behavioral science studies came out recently. They're pretty shocking to me because probably for most of us, we grew up, whether we were implicitly told or we just sort of picked it up that uh, it's, it's good to have a lot of money. You know, wealth is a sign of success. It's a marker of comfort and security. And, you know, that's, that's what you, you should do. Make as much money as you can. Um, but it's actually pretty funny that in the last 10 years, a number of these studies have come out that have shown that uh, the more money you make and the higher income you have, that is a direct link with the following. A higher rate of shoplifting and stealing, higher rate of adultery, higher rate of drinking alcohol. Uh, people who drive more expensive cars are more likely to run stoplights, uh, stop signs, and cut you off in traffic. Um, also, th this one was kind of shocking. Uh, they, did a, they did a study and found that people with more money are more likely to take candy from a bowl meant for children. So, like, if you were, so if you were to put a, a, a bowl of candy and said, for, like, kids 12 and under, the richer adults would be more likely to take the candy. So they literally would take, uh, come on. Uh, so there's a few websites out there where you can actually do a, um, like a wealth income calculator. Uh, and so I just, I just found one. And according to the census, the average single adult's income in Campbellsville is about $20,000. So I just plugged that in, and here's what it, it generated. Uh, it said that with that kind of an income, you're in the top 10% of the world. So that means there's about 9.7% uh, of people wealthier than you, but there's like 90% of people that are poorer than you. And so, you know, you might feel like, you know, because we live in America, there's a lot of wealth around here, but you may still feel like, I'm not rich. Like you look at your budget and it's tight and you've got some financial challenges and you're trying to figure things out. I'm just telling you, the bigger perspective around the world and through history is we're incredibly wealthy. Even if you feel like you don't have a whole lot, even when you're struggling to, to make ends meet and pay the bills. And so the behavior that we see these studies show, the, the, the unethical thinking, that's really what one of the article comes, higher income rates are connected to increased unethical thinking. So even though we see that, when I mean, we would call that sin, that's increased with more money we all still have that sin in us. And what those studies show is wealth just has a way of pulling that sin out and making it more prevalent and more common. So we're looking at a couple stories that Jesus tells today from Luke chapter 16. And these are stories where Jesus talks about the danger of wealth. And one of these stories, I think, gets at the, the head kind of how we think about things, and the second story gets at our heart about how we feel about, about money and our possessions. So the first story in chapter 16 is about a shrewd manager. Now this story is considered the hardest parable in all of Luke to understand. There's a lot we could talk about and go back and forth on and try to understand what it means and, and all that. But I just want to focus us on the key details of this story. So here's what happens. Jesus says there's this manager, and his master figures out he's been wasting his money. So this guy's supposed to run his, his master's business, and he's done a bad job at it. We don't know exactly what he's done, 
Did he just, did he cook the books? Was he embezzling? You know, was he not investing it wisely? Did he make some really foolish business decisions? You know, we don't know. But he realizes he's going to get fired. And so he decides, ah, I know what, I do, what I'll do. I'll get some people who owe my master money, and I'll decrease all of their debts. So they will feel really good about me, and then when I get fired, they'll help me out. And we all look at that and go, that sounds weird. And so the, what does the guy do? He calls these different people in, and he says, hey, what, what's your bill? And they tell him, okay, cut, cut that down. Cut that down by this amount and that amount. And when his master comes back to him and finds out what he's done, he says, well done. That was so shrewd of you, which is just a word. To me, it sounds like a bad word, but it means just wise. He was wise. He was very intentional with what he did. And so Jesus, this is why this story is so weird, is Jesus seems to compliment a man that in the story is called dishonest and shrewd. And we should be like, that sounds weird. I feel like Jesus could have made that point a different way. But then you know, Jesus goes on and basically says, hey, use your, use your worldly wealth, wealth to make friends in heaven. That's what you got to do. And you're like, that, I don't know, Jesus, that just seems weird. Like, what are you getting at? But after he finishes that story, he, he says a few things we've, we've probably heard before. He says in verse 13, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Probably heard that a few times before. Jesus says it in other places as well. But he just he makes this point about this shrewd manager and his, his bottom line with all the details that we could go back and forth on. His bottom line point is, look, even though the guy was dishonest, he was so intentional with how he used his wealth. And if people of the world are going to be that intentional, even when they use their money for either straight-up evil or kind of questionable reasons, at least they thought about it. And his point is, as Christians, we should be even more intentional than the world with our finances. He means we don't own anything. That's the Christian perspective of money. We don't own any of it. It's all God's. He knows what you have and what you don't have. He's trusted you with, and don't just think money, He's trusted you with money, but he's also trusted you with your talents, your abilities, your gifts, your resources, your time, all of it. It's God's. And so the Christian perspective is when you get your paycheck, it's not, I worked really hard, I deserve that money. It's God gave you the ability to do this job. He's giving you this. What are you going to do with it? And none of us want to be in the position of this steward who is told, hey, you've wasted your master's stuff. Like, none of us want to be that person who God says, hey, you've wasted what I've been giving you. We don't want to be that guy. So the bottom line of this story and what Jesus begins to make a connection with is that your generosity demonstrates your relationship with God. Because what did God do? What did Jesus do? He saw us in our position and he sacrificed everything to save us. He was so incredibly generous towards us. So how will we do the same? And so it, it reflects our ability to be generous, reflects how, how well we understand what we own versus what God owns. It impacts how much we trust him to take care of us. It impacts all of that. And so there's just a few ways that you can be an intentional uh, manager. There's three ways I thought of. The first is budget your money. 
Second, prioritize your time. And third, serve using your gifts. Those are three ways you can do it. Because if you don't have a budget, you don't know where your money's going. And I, I've seen this so many times. Whenever someone, they just, they don't have a budget, they've never budgeted before, and you finally sit down and, and help them make a budget, there's always one category where their eyes get really big, and they go, we're spending how much on that? It's like, we're spending how much every month at Starbucks? Or we're spending how much going out to eat? Or, or we're doing what? And it just makes you realize, yeah, that's not a, we, we, should, we should clean some things up. We're not really proud that that's, that's what we're using our, our money on. So you've got to have a budget, otherwise you have no plan, and you, you don't know how you're managing things for God. And then you've got to prioritize your time. Because if you don't have priorities, you'll waste it. There are so many things that can distract us. It's too easy to just start flipping through your phones and scrolling for hours or to just flip channels on TV. And, you know, when you get bored with one show, you go find another show. When it's a commercial break, you ever done this? Commercials come on, you flip to the other, another channel that's not in commercial breaks. So you can keep watching something. But we got to have a priority with how we want to use our time. And I had a friend who posted this uh, picture on his social media account uh, this past week. And it's his plan for how he wants to um, disciple his kids, his specific plan for this kind of this spring uh, semester. So he talks about how, you know, he wants to have a devotional time with his family once a week, and they're going to use Right Now Media, which is like a Netflix for Bible studies. And, you know, we're going to practice memorizing scripture, we're going to pray together, we're going to worship together, we're going to do that as a family once a week. And then he goes down, this is only part of the post, but he lists all four of his kids and what he wants to talk about with each of them once a week. So he's got a son that he wants to help walk. Hey, how are you doing with middle school? Let's talk about that. Some crazy things are happening. He's got another son who's about that age. For, let's start talking about baptism. Let's talk about making that commitment. And he, he has some younger kids who it's, hey, we need to just talk about some basics. We need to just talk about, about friends, and we need to talk about who is Jesus. And, and we're, So he's got all of that mapped out, what he wants to be intentional about. So you've got, to, you've got to have priorities, otherwise anything can come in and just snag your time and pull you in distractions and waste your time. But you've also got to serve using your gifts, because your ability, your time, God gave you that too. He knows what you're gifted in and what you're not gifted in. He knows how you can help the church and help others. And when you serve, it, you get this sense of fulfillment from serving, because you're doing something that God has made you for, gifted you for. And when you're not serving, you're missing out. You're missing out on that sense of fulfillment, and you're missing out on what God has given you to do. It's like you're just going to take that gift and, you know, put it up on the shelf and let it collect dust. Like, yeah, just, we don't really use that thing anymore. It's like, God's like, no, I, the Holy Spirit gave that to you. Like, that's something specifically I want you to use for the sake of everybody around you. So those are three ways we can be a good, a good steward. But then there's this, uh, there's this second story. That starts off in verse 19. It goes like this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. In other words, this guy can afford designer top-line clothes. All right, That's what purple and fine linen are. He can, he can go into those very expensive designer stores where there's like three pairs of shoes on the wall, and you're like, I can't buy any of those. He, he, he dresses like that. So at his gate was laid a beggar, named Lazarus, covered with sores, not, not nice clothes, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So we just have this picture of this 
wealthy man who seems to have everything, and then poor Lazarus, who's just begging. He, oh, poor guy. Even dogs come and, and lick him. He just, he's just so pitiful. And what we would assume, and what Jesus' people in his day would have assumed is, ah, the rich man. Now, here is clearly a successful individual. Here's someone really good. God is clearly blessing him. That's why he has so much wealth. It's because God has blessed him. And Lazarus, ah, God's cursed him. That's why he's got a bag. That's why he's covered with sores. He must have sinned. He must have done something horrible to end up this way. And that's, that's the assumption we would have. And maybe in our day, uh, we would add just a little bit to those assumptions. We would think, man, maybe Lazarus is just lazy. Like, there's, surely there's lots of jobs. Why isn't he going and getting himself a job? What's up with that? Or maybe it's, maybe Lazarus is a criminal. Maybe he's got a bad past and no one trusts him. So that's why he's got to beg. No one's going to trust this guy to give him a job. Or maybe every time you give Lazarus money, he goes and he buys drugs with it. And he just, you know, can't blame the rich man. He's, he's, just, he's just being a good guy. He's just watching out for Lazarus. But it's easy to assume those things when you hear that on TV or you hear that in a news report. It's harder to assume that when you sit down and talk with somebody who is homeless and you realize they have a story too and it's pretty complicated and it's more nuanced than the TV report led you to believe and it's not that they're lazy or it's not that they're an addict. Maybe that's true for some people, but you'll find out that's not, that's not the full story. And so when Jesus gets into this next part of the story, he flips all of our assumptions on their head. He turns it all upside down. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, a.k.a. heaven. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. So, whoa, wait a second. The rich guy is blessed by God, right? No. We find out very quickly his wealth had nothing to do with God. So he's in hell, and Lazarus gets to go be in heaven. It's like, oh boy. So he's in torment. He looked up, and he saw it. Now, I just got to tell you real quick, this story is also kind of difficult. So look, we could talk all about, is Jesus describing what heaven and hell are actually like? Or is he just borrowing ideas that were popular in his culture to make a point? I don't, we could talk about that another time. I just want to focus your attention on the bottom line here. The rich man is not glad that he's here. He does not want to be here. And in a minute, he's going to beg for somebody to go save his family. So he's trying to talk to Abraham. And he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place. So it sounds like there's this big, I don't know, canyon, chasm thing, and hell's over there, and you can look and see it, and heaven's over here, and you can see it, and they can talk to each other across this chasm. And he says, well, there's this great chasm between us, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. 
And the guy's like, uh, uh, no, uh, I don't think you understand. Send somebody, please. If they see like a ghost or a guy come back from the dead, surely they'll believe that. Surely they'll listen. But Abraham says, says, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Ouch. So we have this, this interesting, strange story and all of our assumptions get flipped upside down, and we realize the rich man, his wealth had nothing to do with God. He doesn't want to be where he's at, but there's, it's too late. There's nothing he can do. So he's like, well, can, can you save my family, please? Can somebody go tell him? And he, Abraham says, look, if, if they're not going to listen to, in other words, when he says Moses and the prophets, if they're not going to listen to the Bible, they're not going to listen to a dead guy who raises from the grave. Meaning Lazarus, but we, wink, wink, Jesus is talking about what's going to happen pretty soon. Like, some people aren't going to care even when I raise from the dead. They're still going to have their excuses. They're not going to listen to us then. And so here we realize that the problem is the rich man, part of the reason he's where he is is because of how he used his wealth. Because Lazarus sat and begged outside of his gate the whole time. The rich man had plenty of food, plenty of everything. We could assume he could have bought clothes for Lazarus, he could have fed him, he could have got him a doctor for those sores, he probably could have invited him into the house. But instead, he can look out his front window every day, and he can see Lazarus just on the other side of, maybe he lives, it sounds like he lives like in a gated community. He can look out and see Lazarus on the sidewalk, just outside of his property, and he does nothing for him. He doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. And that's part of why he's where he's at. And so this is what I need you to hear. Jesus-like compassion moves you to help the person in front of you. Lazarus is right there, and he can't bring himself to do anything for the guy. can't do anything. And look, I, I get it. Sometimes we think, well, is it, is it really the best thing to give Lazarus money? Like, is that really going to help him out? And, and there can be ways where we can be intentional and responsible to really help people so we're not just, you know, feeding an addiction or a bad habit. But at the same time, if you want to do that, you actually have to be more intentional, not less. It's actually really easy to give someone in need money. It's harder to build a relationship with them. It's harder to sit down and hear their story and actually talk with them and actually learn the, the intricacies and the nuance of their life and figure out what they really actually need. It's a lot harder to do that. It's easy just to say, well, here's some money. I, I don't need to deal with you here. Take the money, go whatever. Or it's easy to give our money to an organization or a group and say, I'll let them handle it. I don't need to handle it. But the intentional thing, I mean, he could have just walked, walked to the end of his driveway, sat down with Lazarus at least once and say, hey, wh why are you here every day? What's going on? And he could have learned and he could have been there to help him. And so even for us, it's, can we build relationships and figure out what, what do people really need? Because absolutely, people always need Jesus. But sometimes people also need something to eat or they need a little help getting to the doctor, or they just need some advice, or they need to learn some skills. And when compassion enters the picture, you will do something messy or reckless. So let me frame it up this way. Let's just say you're one of your kids, or maybe it's your spouse, they get really sick, 
And the doctor says, now there is a treatment that is guaranteed to heal them, but it's $100,000 and insurance will not cover this. How many of you, if it was your spouse, if it was a kid, if it was a close family member, how many of you would go home and fight to figure out how you're going to come up with that money? Like you would consider option after option after option. You, you would find a way. Now there's a lot of people in our community, they, they don't need $100,000. They might not even need $5. They actually might just need a friend. They might just need you to have the willingness to just build a relationship with them and, and yeah, tell them about Jesus, but also figure out, hey, what's, what's going on? How would Jesus help you in this situation? What is it that you really, really need? And it's easy to think, well, that's easy to say because I'm the rich man. He's rich. He's got designer clothes. He's got a giant house. He's probably got like a, a wall and a gate. He, he's got plenty. Obviously, he could help. And you think, you kind of start thinking, man, my budget's really tight. I don't have a lot of extra wiggle room. I don't know how to help people. Well, that's why you've got to expand your view to not just the money you've got. Maybe you've got a talent or an ability that you could serve somebody with. Maybe you've got some time. Maybe it's, yeah, you don't have any extra money to help, but you, you've got time to help. Or maybe it's you've just got some things around your house that you could share or you could give to somebody. You know, sometimes the hardest thing to think about doing, but a radical way to love someone would be to say, hey, you know what? I've got a spare bedroom. Why don't you come live with us? Because I, I just want to be that intentional with our friendship. And I want to disciple you every single day. I want to help you. But you're going to become my friend, and we, we're going to help each other. That's how this is going to work, to invite everybody in. Because the question is, you've got to ask yourself, do you love God more than your resources? You've got to really think about that. Because it goes back to, Jesus says, you can only serve one. You can't serve money and God. You've got to pick who you're going to serve. And it's kind of funny, in the middle, between these two stories in your Bible, you probably have a heading that says something like additional teachings. And if you just read all the way through Luke 16 from start to finish, you hit that middle spot, and it just feels like, well, this is kind of random. And your Bible just kind of, yeah, additional teachings. We don't have to do with it. Actually, I think it's very intentional. I think Luke picked some of those verses and those teachings from Jesus and put them there to say what God has given you is actually part of his plan to save the whole world. It's always been part of the plan. It's part of what even happened in the Old Testament. So just listen to a few of these passages from the Old Testament. Because if you ever think, man, God seems angry in the Old Testament. Uh, he's not. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 15, 7-11. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. In other words, they're talking about the every seven year, you kind of reset everything. And he's like, don't just think, well, we'll just wait a little bit and it'll take care of itself. So no, go ahead and be generous. Go ahead and help them out. Don't wait. Don't wait. Help them now. He says, they may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. 
There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Here's Isaiah 58. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every, and break every chain? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And here's Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah, Old Testament story where they were so incredibly sinful, Abraham went back and forth with God like, God, if we can find like 50 righteous people, will you save it? He's like, yeah. And then Abraham comes back, okay, uh, if, we can, if we can find like 10 righteous, he's like, all right, if you can find 10, he comes back, what if I can find like five? It's like, and then he comes back, okay, I guess you're right. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to destroy the whole city. That's what I'm going to do because it's so wicked. So, one, he, you know, he's getting at Israel. Your sister Sodom, like, you're in league here. This is her problem. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Well, ouch. See, the danger of wealth is it can make us so comfortable and so insulated that we don't have to deal with people. They don't, they don't have to be our problem anymore. We can just kind of well, I don't want to live in that neighborhood. I'll just go live in this neighborhood. I'll just get away from it. Or this tends to happen in uh, most, pretty much most cities where at some point there's, there's a lot of homeless people in town and they kind of set up a place to live. They've kind of got a tent city and eventually people complain. They don't feel safe. And so the city like relocates them, which usually means they like throw away the little, what, what little they have and tell them you've got to get out of here. And unfortunately, sometimes that happens at churches. Do you know this? Uh, I've heard this from churches all over the country where at some point a homeless person will like sleep on the front, the front uh, porch, the front door of a church and some, some you know, well-meaning member will drive by and they'll call the pastor and say, Pastor, you've got to go down to the church. There, there's somebody sleeping on the front porch. You've got to go tell them to leave. That's not for them. And it's like, okay, hold on, wait a second. You mean the building that was built with the purpose of honoring and worshiping a homeless guy isn't the place for a homeless person to find a little bit of refuge. Let's hold on. Because when Jesus was on earth, he was homeless. When he, and, and here's the deal, if you were back, and this is probably why his family was so mad and frustrated with him, he's the oldest son. His job is, hey, Jesus, you're supposed to work to provide for Mary, because you notice Joseph, after Jesus is 12 years old, we never hear about Joseph, probably died which means it's all on Jesus to work and make enough money to provide for Mary and his family. And what does he do at age 30? He runs off and goes into ministry, and he doesn't work. He doesn't make any money. He travels around, and he preaches, and he needs other people to provide for his every need. And his, his brothers and sisters are probably pretty frustrated with him, at least for, one of, at least for that reason. But God's heart, his intention the whole time, is let's take care of each other. Let's look out for one another. Because the compassion that Jesus shows is you just can't help it. You, you've got to help that person. And when that compassion enters you, you'll do things that are a little risky, maybe a little messy, maybe a little difficult, but you're willing to do it. Because that person's made in God's image too. God loves that person just as much as he loves you. 
And you know what he's done for you, so how can you do that for them? And sometimes we've got to get a little creative, sure. Sometimes we've got to be careful. But a relationship is always a great way to go about it. But we have to be careful, first of all, about how wealth can be a danger to our own spiritual life and our own relationship with Jesus. Because the danger becomes we get so comfortable, we get so insulated that we don't even know what's going on with other people. That you just drive by the same guy begging outside of Walmart every day and you, yeah, whatever, doesn't really matter. Or you, you know, you drive through kind of a, you know, this happens when I was living in Louisville, you drive through a certain part of town and there's just a tent city of homeless people under a bridge. And you kind of think, ah, oh, this just looks bad. This is probably not safe. Actually, it's probably fine. They just need a dry place, you know, to sleep. But we can start to assume things that may not be true about those people. And God loves them just as much as he loves us. Because when God saw us, his children, in our sorry state, you realize we're kind of like, we don't want to admit it, but we were kind of like Lazarus. In our sin and in our wickedness, we were not in a good place. And God looked down from heaven and saw us, and he decided to do something about it. And what he decided to do is he decided to go down there himself. And he came down to us, and he got to know us. He sat and talked with us. He had meals with us. And he taught, and he did everything he could to show us there's a different way to live. And so what did God do for us? Well, he, he gave us everything. He sacrificed his home in heaven for a little bit. He came to live with us. He suffered as a human. He, for the first time, he, he had limits. God never had limits before. And then Jesus comes to earth, and he allows himself to have some limits. And he lives like us for a little while and shows us how to live. And the answer to all this is not, well, let's just go get some better financial management tools and we'll just save ourselves. It's not the answer. The answer is to put all of your trust and all of your faith and align your desires with Jesus. Because if you just try to use willpower, you'll do okay, but you'll probably get really frustrated at some point. And if it's just about, let me just you know, get some better you know, productivity tools or some better financial management, or let me just, let me just do that, you're still just serving yourself. Like, you're just looking out for yourself. You're just still serving money. But when you put all of your desires, all of your interests, and you hand them over to God, and you let him guide you, and him direct you, and let him lead you, then it's about how can you serve him. It's not about, man, how can I, how can I get more money? How can I be more protected? How can I do this? How can I do that? It's how can I serve God? How can I honor him? Where does Jesus want me to go? And that becomes what we begin to change our orientation to. So if you're listening to this, and you still haven't decided to follow Jesus and be baptized, there's a chance for you to do that today, here in just a couple minutes. But for you, it's, it's who are you serving? Are you serving money? Are you serving your job? Are you really serving yourself? Because Jesus is really the only master who, when you serve him, you're actually free. And when you serve him, he actually forgives you, and he gives you another chance. And he's actually maybe the, probably the only, the only master you're ever going to find who will, he will leave his place of comfort and security to come to you and rescue you. And that's what he does for each and every one of us. So take the rich man's warning in this story. He says, I, I don't want to be here. Please go warn and tell, tell people. 
You don't want to be where he's at. You don't want to be separated from God. And so this is your chance to accept the offer that Jesus makes and say, hey, I want to have a relationship with you, Lord. I want to know what it's like to serve people the way you've served us. Say, I want to be part of this story that you're writing, this adventure that you're calling every single one of us into. And God loves us so much, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are in your life, he said, hey, come on, let's do it. Let's get ready. No matter if you feel like the rich man or you feel like Lazarus, he's got a place for you. He's got an opportunity for us. He has things that he's given you that he's trusting you with so that you can show his love to other people. He gets to, we get to be involved in his plan. He doesn't just do it by himself. He wants all of us to get to be part of it and share in the wins and the joys and the victories together. So if you want to talk about what it, a little bit of what it looks like to follow Jesus, here in just a minute, when the worship team comes up to lead us in another psalm, I'll be right down here in the front row, and you can come on down, and we'll, we'll talk about what does it look like to follow Jesus, and you can ask questions, and we can talk all about that. But this morning, I just want all of us to be, to be challenged and encouraged to say, hey, let's follow Jesus. Let's serve him with all we've got. Let's not, let's not be tempted to serve wealth and let that guide us. Let's see what God has for each of us. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for the example of your son, Jesus. And I thank you that, God, you provide for us. And so we, you know, as, as great as it is to, to have some money and to be able to do some things, it's even greater that you take care of our every single need and that you provide for us and even in times where we just we can't explain it we don't understand it but you continue to take care of us and holy spirit i pray you would um, convict us and encourage us convict us in the places where we care too much about what we have and we've become too comfortable or too self-centered or too insulated and encourage us where we really have gifts and talents and abilities and we actually have ways that you've given us to love and serve others in your name. And encourage us to step out in faith and trust you. And to serve you and to love those right around us. And God, fill us with the compassion that you have for your people. Help us to feel that same compassion when we see each other here at church and when we see other people out in the community. Holy Spirit, help us, just give us that, that call and that challenge to recognize when someone is in need and really needs our help, that we can be like you were to us, and we can go and we can serve, just like your son came and died on the cross to serve and save us. It's all this I pray in your son's name, amen. Would you stand as we continue to worship together?